we're so glad you're here. We are having a special Veterans Day service next week. Have a guest speaker coming in who is, uh, who is a combat medic in the Special Forces. And uh, he got saved because he was in a helicopter that crashed. How many know that when you wake up and your back is broken, the helicopter's on fire, you need Jesus? Amen. Amen. Some of us are almost in that shape and we don't realize it, right? We need Jesus. We need Jesus. So we're going to honor all of our veterans uh, next week. And, and uh, there may be veterans sitting next to you that you don't know. So uh, please, um, let's come out and support that. And, and uh, that'll, be a, that'll be a good day. So last week I started a series called Address the Mess. And we're learning how to deal how to clean up, how to get over, get through, get past the messes that we have created in our, in our lives. And, you know, last week we talked about the importance of taking personal responsibility. And we said that um, many of the messes in our lives have our, our DNA and our fingerprints all over them. How many of you ever had a mess in your life and, you know, you won't blame other people, but your fingerprints are all over them? And, You know, we've made bad decisions, bad choices. We've been living in ways that are opposed to how we know that God wants us to. And it creates a mess in our life. And sometimes we have messes in our relationships. We have messes in our marriages with our kids, all kind of things, and in our careers. And and we, we created them. What we said last week, which is so important. See, many times people think that when you take ownership, when you take responsibility, it's a negative thing. Because a lot of times today, society says that, oh, it's not your fault. Blame someone else. It's the government. It's your parents. It's your friends. It's your mom and dad, whatever. When we take personal responsibility, at that moment, we begin to grow. We begin to grow, and then we can learn new strategies uh, to do better in life. But, you know, if you had an, an addiction that has created a mess in your life, personal responsibility to do something about it, you begin to grow and outgrow the mess you're in. If your finances are in in trouble and you say, hey, I've got to take responsibility and do something. I'm going to take the Dave Ramsey class. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to get some people that know what they're doing to help me. You know, then because you've taken personal responsibility, uh, you can learn new strategies to to get over that. If if you're having relationship issues, if your relationships are in a mess, you know, personal responsibility allows you to outgrow that because many times our relationship problems are from immaturity in our life. Can we ever, has anyone out there say, I have been immature in some relationships? And um, how many of you can say, well, the person next to me really can, right? He really can. So you're going to love this message today. This may be my favorite, the favorite message that I speak all year, because today we're going to talk about what to do when other people have a mess in their life. I mean, hey, we already hit you hard last week. If you weren't here, listen to podcasts about, hey, it's your mess, take responsibility. But you know what? In life, many times in our world, in our sphere of influence, there are people that have problems, they have messes they have created, and they're looking for us to help them. And I thought it would be very beneficial if we can learn what is our responsibility when other people have a mess that they have created, that has their fingerprints and their DNA uh, all over it. Let me just, let's do a show of hands. Um, How many of you, uh, you know somebody, it's a family member, it's a friend, someone comes to you with their mess? 
Okay, some of you don't. I'm going to pray for you to you send, send your family, you know. You're just not answering your phone, right? So how to deal with the messes in other people's lives. And, um, you know, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond when other people have a mess? What, how do we respond when our kids have created a mess? When our brothers and sisters, when our aunts and our uncles, when our parents, when our friends... How do we respond when people that we know and people we love have created a mess for them and they want us to bail them out? That's why they come to us, right? They, they, a lot of times they want us to, to bail them out. So the first thing we're going to have to do is, is that messes come in two categories, only two. Some messes are, are created because of uncontrollable circumstances, you're just going through life and something hits you, a sickness hits you, you know, a layoff hits you. You did not do anything wrong. So that's the first category is when we get into a mess or other people get into a mess and it wasn't their fault. There's nothing that they could have done. Just life hit them and they find themselves in a mess. That's the first one. But the other one, uh, the other, the second category of a mess is when people make bad decisions and poor choices and are controlled by addictions and they end up in a mess. And it, it, it's self-imposed. Self-imposed that we did it to ourselves. And, and you know, honestly, in our, all of us, we've had both of these types of messes in our lives. Some that we created and some that just, there, it's not fair. You know, life is not fair. Everyone gets hit with certain things. So our responses, when people come to you this week, family, friends, neighbors, relatives, coworkers, and they want to dump their mess on you, when they want you to help them clear up their mess, our response to other people's messes should be different depending on which category their mess falls into. If one of our friends, neighbors, relatives, loved ones comes to us and they got hit by an uncontrollable circumstance that created a mess in their life, then there's one response we should have. If they created their mess and they're just, they're not really wanting to change, they're just wanting to be bailed out, that's a totally different type of a mess and there's a different response for that. I was reading uh, this last week and there was, there was a, a robber in London, and he decided, he had a great idea. He decided that he was going to rob a department store. And his idea was he was going to chisel a hole in the wall from the back alley. So he had his hammer and his chisel, and he carved out a two-foot round hole. And so he was going through there to rob the store. Uh, the only problem is that he's a little bit chubby. He didn't quite make the hole big enough. So he gets part of his torso through there and he's trying to wiggle and he's not moving anywhere and he set off the alarm that came and arrested him. How many of you know that robber created his own mess? Don't call me to bail you out. You did stupid and you got caught, right? All right there's no other way to, to think about that. Uh, on another extreme, uh, my friend told me this story I thought was just really funny. So my friend, he had two boys, four and five years old. And they lived kind of out in the country. There were some woods right behind their house. And uh, so somebody dropped a stray cat off at their house. How many cat lovers do we have in here? 
Okay, you may want to cover your ears for this story. So um, I'm kidding. So anyway, you know, the cat hangs around for two weeks. They're, they're holding, uh, you know, they're feeding it and they're petting it. And they, they have a couple dogs, you know, so the cat's staying outside, but it keeps coming around. And so one day my friend uh, is out in the back raking leaves. And he doesn't know this is going on. But what happens is his five-year-old son says, well, man, you know, I take my dogs on walk. I think it'd be really cool to take the cat on a walk. And so he was out there jumping rope, you know, the old jump ropes, the handles. So he lassoed the cat and tied the, the jump rope around the cat's neck and starts taking the cat for a walk. Well, the cat didn't like it so much. And so the cat got away from his son and ran off into the woods. And so my friend's back there raking the leaves, the leaves and he hears this terrible screeching, like terrible. He thinks someone's dying. He drops a rake. He doesn't know anything that's happened. He runs in the woods, and the cat had fled from his son, run up a tree, fell off the tree, but the, jump, the other end of the jump rope hung up in the tree. And he said, this cat is hanging by his son's jump rope. I mean, tongue out and everything, you know? And so he ran over there, and he rescued the cat. He rescued the cat, saved the cat. He said, funny thing, that cat never came back to our house. The cat never came back to his house. And so he went back and asked his son, well, how did your jump rope get around the cat's neck and all that? So how many know that sometimes we're just going through life and we end up with a jump rope around our neck hanging from a tree? That cat didn't do anything wrong, right? And, and for all the cat lovers, that cat got rescued. It's okay and all that. But that cat didn't do anything wrong. And sometimes we're just going through life. And someone lassos us with a jump rope, and we're trying to get away, and we end up hanging from a tree with our tongue hanging out, right? I mean, that's, 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 how, that's, how life, that's how life happens. So two types of messes. So there's a story I was thinking about in the Bible that reveals some of these things we're talking about. And it's a popular story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read 30 through 35, verse 30 through 35. And if you remember before we read this, Jesus was talking about being a good neighbor and taking care of people. And they want to justify themselves, say, well, who is our neighbor? And he tells this story. He says this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, or a foreigner, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to the inn, and, to, and, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And, I, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. And so the story goes that they were going from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's up on a hill down to Jericho. That was a 17-mile road that dropped 3,000 feet. And all, all kind of blind and naked curves going through, through there. And it says a guy's just minding his own business. He's just going from Jerusalem to Jericho, maybe on a business trip, maybe to go visit families. He's doing nothing wrong, and he gets ambushed. And they rob him, and they beat him. They leave him unconscious. Uh, most people think he's dead. 
And then it says, uh, it's very interesting, I'm going to lump the priest and the Levite together because that's the church right there. That's the church right there. And what, what's really interesting, I've heard pastors speak on this story, and they said that the priest and the Levite, uh, see, at the temple in Jerusalem, the, the temple was in Jerusalem, and all the priests who were the ones that, that led the worship, led the services, uh, they, they, they did rotations. So they would come for several weeks and work, then go home. And the Levites, they were in charge of taking care of all the temple preparations, all of the, the, the structures and the utensils. And, and I've heard pastors say, you know, this priest and the priest and Levite, you know, maybe they're going for their rotation in Jerusalem. So if, if they were to touch a dead body, they would, be, they would be considered unclean, would have to do a bunch of stuff and wouldn't be able to fulfill their service in, in Jerusalem. But did you read the story? It said they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. They weren't going to the temple. They were leaving. So they have no excuse for not helping this person. I mean, if they're going to Jerusalem, maybe you can put a good spin on that. But they're leaving Jerusalem. They finished their rotation of service, and now they're going home. And they didn't have enough compassion to stop and help this guy. So the church... The people who are supposed to be the religious leaders of the day, the ones who are supposed to have compassion and care and concern for people, didn't even stop to see if he was dead. It was just too, it was just too much trouble. But then it says the Samaritan, if you know, the Samaritans, they were actually, they, they, at one time they were Jewish people. The northern ten tribes, they were conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and they interbred, they intermarried with the Assyrians, and so they were called Samaritans, and the Jews would call them half-breeds tremendous racial and ethnic strife between them. But this Samaritan, who's supposed to be a no-good half-breed, he comes over there, and he loves on this guy and shows compassion on this guy and gives action toward helping him and goes the extra mile and takes him to an inn and pays for his medical care and says, I'll come back and I'll do even more if it's needed. And so we, we have two scenarios. So here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, when someone is in a mess that's unavoidable, our response should be two parts, compassion and action. When people we know are in trouble and they didn't do anything to cause it and they need our help, we are supposed to give them compassion and action. Sometimes we give them compassion and sympathy. Oh, I'm going to be praying for you. No, you're not. You're going to go home and watch a ball game. Compassion and action. Leave what you're doing and go help them because your friend or somebody that you know, somebody that's in a mess, they could use your help a whole lot more than what you're going to do, uh, you know, later in the day. One time I, many years ago, I went on a hospital visit and uh, one of our members was having a surgery. So I thought, you know, hey, every good pastor needs to go into the hospital. And I went to the hospital. I talked with this uh, lady. I prayed with her. I read a scripture. You know, I was there probably 30 minutes. And, and um, I, I'm very task-oriented. Every day I have a lot of stuff to do. And I write lists of things that I need to do. do how many list writers do we have here? Got some list writers? Got some other ones. We'll pray for you. You don't want to get anything done in life, right? And, but, so, but I've got things to do. So I'm going down the hallway. I feel you're, man, I just got an A-plus in pastoral ministry right here at the hospital. I went out of my way. I prayed. I read a scripture. I encouraged, you know. 
And I'm going down the hallway, and on the corner of my eye, I see two ladies. I think it's a mother and her daughter. And they look distraught, and they're crying. They look really sad. And the Holy Spirit tells me, go over and talk with them and pray for them. And so I'm like, well, I would like to, Holy Spirit, but I have a list to do. <laughs> have some things to do. So I keep walking. I'm dragging the Holy Spirit right down the hallway, right down the hospital hallway. So I'm almost to my truck and I'm like, I'm not going to win this. I'm not going to win. So I go back. It took 10 minutes, 10 minutes. I went back and I talked with them. It was a mother, a daughter. The husband had had a heart attack and they didn't know if he was going to make it. They didn't have any friends or family in town. And I just went up and introduced myself. And so, you know, I just felt compelled to come over here and talk with you, pray, pray with you. Do you need anything? took about 10 minutes. And how, how, how many of you know that, that there is something more important? What's more important than my schedule is hurting people. What's more important than my schedule, my to-do list, is human needs. And what the Holy Spirit wanted from me was a little bit of compassion and action. It didn't put me out. How many of you know that when we go help somebody, you know, we can always make up time later. We waste so much time anyway. Compassion and action. If you know somebody and they need help and they're in a bind, they're in a mess and they didn't create that mess, it was put on them. Our responsible goal as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to pour out compassion and action toward them. That's what Jesus wants, wants from us. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever had a bad situation and, uh, and someone extended compassion and action towards you? Let me think about it for a minute. Have you ever been in a mess that you didn't create and somebody just out of the blue gave you compassion and action? They took action and did something to help you? Do you remember how good it made you feel? Y'all haven't had anyone do that for you? I mean, it made you feel good. So um, I, I've told this story before, but I'm going to revisit it because I don't know if I've told you one part of it. So several years ago during Hurricane Harvey, my house flooded, right? And, and so what happened is we don't flood from the rain. We flooded from the river. And I saw the projections of the river four days before it was going to come up. So I knew that our house was going to flood. So I'm thinking, okay, I can't just sit here. I've got to do something. So I drove to Louisiana and I got an aqua dam, a big old round thing to put around my house. I mean, I made the news. Isn't that right, John? Where's John at? John, Channel 2, flying over my house in the neighborhood. They say, hey, that's the Aquadam man. You know? That's the Aquadam man. That's me, man. Spent $7,000 on something that didn't work. That's me right there. So these four guys, yeah, they, 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 there's, I mean, it was, ma it was massive. And, but I, t I will say this. I do take pride in this. All the other homes flooded 16 hours before mine did. 7,000 bucks got me 16 hours. Calculate that one out. So four guys stopped by my house when all the floods started coming in. And they said, hey, if you need our help, call us. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, okay, I'm not going to call you. Well, as it turned out, you know, all of my family was gone. None of my friends could get to me because the roads were closed, wouldn't let them in. So I'm out there by myself for like two days. And I had, you know, I probably went 36 hours, no sleep. So at one in the morning, and I'll never forget, one of the men who gave me his number, his name was James Bond. I mean, that's hard to forget, James Bond. 
So I called James Bonnet one in the morning. And I said, James, you said if I needed help to call you, I need help. He said, I'll be right there. He said, I'll get my other friends too. We'll come over there. So he came driving through the neighborhood on a jet ski because that's how it was. And I said, hey, where are the other guys? He's like, ah, ah, they don't love you very much. So we're out there all night pumping water and doing stuff. And I, 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 after I'd called him, he got there, I, I felt bad. It's 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. I'm like, James, look, why don't you just go home? Why don't you just go home? Here's what he said. You are more important than sleep. I had never met him before. You are more important than sleep. And you know what? My house flooded. And on top of that, I spent seven grand on something that didn't work. But you know what? That helped me. And I have never forgot that, that someone I never met said, you are more important than sleep. And when we have compassion toward people, when we have compassion toward people and we do something to help them, it moves the heavens. Something happens. And you may not be able to help them, but your actions made an imprint in their life. And, and so we've got to start thinking. We get so busy in our world, and I know all of us are busy, but a lot of the things we're doing aren't even very important. And we've got to start looking. How, how can I help? Who can I help? Who, who is in need? What can I do? To help them. So God will position people in your path that are in a mess, people who had no control of their circumstances, and our response should be compassion and action. Acts 10.38, one of my favorite verses, says Jesus anointed, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. That's what we need, Holy Spirit and power, all of us. And he went, up, he went around doing good. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. If you read the life of Jesus, everywhere he went, everywhere he showed compassion toward everyone, everyone except the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Compassion toward blind people, compassion toward prostitutes, compassion uh, toward, toward tax collectors, compassion toward fishermen, compassion for demonized people, compassion in action. That's what Jesus demonstrated, and I think we have missed this uh, as we read the Bible. You know, Mark chapter 2, it, it tells the story of the paralyzed man. There's a paralyzed man living out in a village, and, uh, you know, nothing could heal him. And so his friends, they had compassion on him, and they took action. They built a cot, some type of bed. They carried him to Jesus. When they couldn't get him to Jesus, they climbed the stairs, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him right in front of right in front of Jesus, compassion and action. Now, here, here's the problem. Sometimes helping people is inconvenient. Gosh, well, if it just would have been on Tuesday, I was having a really good day on Tuesday. I was really ahead of everything. You know, I think that many times it comes at the worst time because God wants to see how willing we are to live out our Christianity. Hey, you're talking good at church. You're talking good during your, during your devotion. Are you going to release compassion and take action to help these people? That's what's required of us. That's what he would want from us when, when people are in trouble and in a mess by something they didn't create. There, there's an incredible story. There was a guy named Zach Bolster and his wife Patricia. I think we have a picture of them. 
Yeah, that, that's, that's them right there on the left. So that's Zach in the dark shirt. His wife next to him is Patricia. That's his mom uh, right there to, the, to y'all's right of him. And so Zach was living in New York, and he worked in the financial sector. And his mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so him and his wife, they quit their jobs and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to care for his mother. His mother only lived for five more weeks. But while he was taking her to all of her doctor's appointments, to all of the chemo uh, treatments, what he discovered was that many people that need chemo, they don't have a ride to their appointment. Because, you know, after you take the chemo, sometimes you can't drive home. And a lot of them couldn't afford to pay for Uber or taxi or, or whatever. And, and so he, he started doing some research. And he said, man, 650,000 people in America every year are doing, have to get their way to chemo treatments. So he started a nonprofit charity called Chemo Cars. Chemo Cars. And, and he... Um, he, he, they partner with Uber and Lyft, and wherever chemo car is, it's in Charlotte, North Carolina, I believe it's in several other places, all a cancer patient has to do is call a number, and within 10 minutes, they're there to pick you up, to take you to your appointment, to pick you back up and take you home, and it's free. And so, he, you know, his mother died, and I'm just sitting there, how selfless was that? Hey, you know, my mother didn't make it, but you know what? There's all these other thousands of people who can't even get the treatment they, they need because they can't, they don't have a, a ride, they don't have a car, they don't have the money to get there. See, that's, that, that's making a difference. That's, make, that's taking a bad situation and having the compassion to take action to help other people. Compassion in action. So the first question is this, why are they in the mess they're in? The people in our world and our sphere of influence, why are they in the mess they're in? Was there an uncontrollable circumstance or was it self-imposed? The story of the Good Samaritan was about a man who fell into a bad circumstance and, uh, and someone, the Samaritan, showed compassion and took action uh, for him. I was reading a biography on John Wesley. And incredible, John Wesley, of course, he, he, he lived in England, and he was a pastor in the Anglican Church, the Church of England, and he got kicked out. And so he started the Methodist Church. Anyone raised Methodist in here? Oh, we have a few Methodists in here. All right. And um, so anyway, he started the, Methodist, started the Methodist Church. He lived well into his 80s. And thousands of people came to know Jesus through John Wesley. Thousands of people. Um, they said that he would go as the coal miners were coming out of the, out of, out of the tunnels digging for coal. Uh, he said, they said he would go and stand on a platform, stand on a rock, and just, just preach the gospel, just minister to these coal miners. And they said sometimes there would be 20,000 people there, 20,000 of them. They said they would all have black faces just from the coal to smut. And, and as he was just sharing how much Jesus loved them and how much they said that they, you just see white streaks down their face where these coal miners were just, just beside themselves. That they, you know, living hard lives, but they, they, they couldn't get past the love of Jesus. He would lead thousands of them to the Lord, just dirty, 
they said that people, reporters were just, in, in, they couldn't believe that out in a public forum with thousands of people, these tough, hardened coal miners, man, would just be on their knees just weeping as they heard about the love of, 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 of Jesus. And, you know, John Wesley, um, he ran orphanages and things, and the story goes that he was about 81 years old, and one of his orphanages didn't have enough money. And he went out there in the snow and stood in the snow trying to collect money, raise money to take care of his orphans. And he, he had made a statement. There's a quote, a John Wesley quote I want you to, to hear. It, he says this, Do all the good that you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, and to all of the people you can, as long as ever you can. And I, I, I just wonder. You want people to come to church? You want people to get saved? You want to minister to people? They have to see the compassion of Christ in us. Anyone can tell someone they're going to hell. That's not hard. That gives you an out. But to get out of yourself and to do something that impacts somebody that's hurting. Compassion in action when reveals the love of Christ and makes a tremendous, tremendous difference in their lives. So now we go to the second part. What do we do about the people who have created their own mess? What do we do about the people that we love in our lives, co-workers, children, grandkids, aunts, uncles, neighbors, church members? What do we do about people who have created a mess by making poor decisions and living in harmful patterns and addictions. The next time I speak, we're going to talk about how to get out of these negative uh, habits that are controlling us. But what do we do if someone you know, someone I know, is in a mess that they have created and they're looking for us to bail them out? What do we, what do, we do? What is our response supposed, supposed to be? And really, it puts us in the love in a very difficult situation. Because the people that we know, if we don't help them, we know what they're going to say. You call yourselves a Christian, right? Where's the love and where's the compassion and where's the action? But this is different. We're talking about people that they dug their own hole. They're like the robber chiseling that department store. They got caught in something that they created. Bad decisions, poor decisions. And habitual bad habits got them to where they're at. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. We can't deny this. If you keep bailing someone out over and over and over again, and, and they don't change what they're doing, you are not actually helping them. Psychologists have a term for this. It's called enablement. I see it every day. People enabling family members, you know, not holding them accountable, just giving them. How much, you know, sometimes it's easier just to write a check or give someone money than it is to address the problem. But if you write that check, there will be another check. If you give them that money and there's no accountability, you, you, they'll, be coming, they'll be coming back for it again. So sometimes the best thing that we can do is to let the person in a mess work their own way out of the mess they have created. I had, when I was a youth pastor in Lafayette, I'll never forget this. There were some parents, and they had, they had three sons, and their oldest son was just, 
man, he was, he was on skids going the wrong way. And he was into drugs and all kind of stuff. And, man, they, they, these parents tried everything. They tried everything. But they had two younger sons. He's bringing drugs in the house. He's coming home stoned and jacked up. And they're like, man, we, and so they sat him down and said, Lee, listen, we love you, but we can't allow this in our house. Your brothers are going to see this. We can't allow this. And so we're going to have to ask you to exit our house. And, and, you know, we've tried everything. We've begged, we've pleaded, we've tried. And they're like, look, when he was walking out the door, they said, Lee, if you get arrested for drugs, do not call us. Well, sure enough, famous last words, about a month later, Lee got pulled over with all, the, all these drugs, and he was, he was in prison, and so he called his parents, collect call from Lee, and his mom answered it, and she said, Hello? And he said, Mom, I need your help. I'm, I'm in jail. Why are you in jail, Lee? For drugs. We told you not to call us, and they hung up. And he went back to his cell. He, and this is his story. He said, I was so strung out on every drug I could get my hands on. He said, I went, I went there, and, and uh, I just fell asleep on the floor. And he said, he said, man, in the middle of the night, it's like 1 and 2 in the morning, I woke up. And when I woke up, man, I had no effects of drugs. I had no hangover, no grogginess. And there was a light in my prison cell. And he said, I met Jesus that night. He said, I met Jesus. So, so a couple of days later, he calls his mom again. <laughs> but this time he started off the conversation, Mom, please don't hang up. I found Jesus. And you know what? Lee got out of that, and God did an amazing thing in his life. And he, he was a change. He was a change person. But how many of you know, if, if the parents would have kept enabling him, he would ne never have got to the place where he was today. Because when we were helping people to be dysfunctional, the parents, they did what they could. They still loved him, but they, they, they drew a line in the sand, there's, there's a, a story in Luke 15. We know it as a prodigal son. And, uh, you know, the story goes that there was a wealthy man, a very wealthy man. And he owned, he owned all this land and had all this, all this property and assets. And the younger son was a troubled son. And he came to his dad and he said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance right now. I want to spend it while I'm young. He went off to a foreign country and and, you know, he squandered it on wild living, prostitutes, drugs, whatever, drinking, whatever. And it said when he ran out of money, he ended up in a pig pen. And the story says he wanted to fill his stomach with the pig pods, but he wasn't supposed to do that. You and I both know he slipped some in, right? <laughs> he ate some pig food. You know the amazing thing about this story? You know, if you're reading this story... Uh, you expect the dad to drive up in an Escalade, come get him, bring him back, put him in rehab, and do all that stuff for him. The dad is not there. The dad never comes for him. The dad is waiting at home, looking for him every day. Because you know what? The prodigal son, he had to come to the end of himself. And he had to come to a place, he had to get all the way to the bottom so that God could restore him. And he came to his senses, and he was restored to the Father. 
But you know what? There were still consequences. He still had no inheritance. There, there were consequences. When you enable people, you keep them from getting to rock bottom. That, that's powerful. Think about it for a minute. I've seen it hundreds of times. When, you be, when you're the lifeline for people, it keeps people uh, from getting to where God wants to get them. Uh, I was reading this story. This young boy went outside and he saw a monarch butterfly, you know, the caterpillar, and it was, it, was, it was working its way through the cocoon. And he watched it and he watched it and he watched it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and he couldn't take it anymore. So he went inside and, and got a pair of scissors and cut the bottom out of the cocoon. And that beautiful monarch butterfly just fell to the ground and, was, and, and died. The struggle is what gives them the strength to fly. In our struggle, the reason, now listen, if you have somebody that's in trouble and they created their own mess, I'm not saying not to love them. I'm not saying not to give them support. I'm not saying not to give them guidance. I'm not saying not to try to help them, but I'm saying don't enable them because the struggle, the struggle is what we have to go through. It's in the struggle that we meet God. It's in the struggle that we build the strength to change. And if someone tries to help us and just cut the cocoon, if there's no struggle, we'll we'll never get to where we need to get. So here's basically what I'm saying. When we're trying to help somebody that's created their own mess and and they don't want to help themselves, basically what I'm saying is we have to show them tough love. And here's the thought. Sometimes love doesn't look like love. Sometimes it doesn't look like love to let somebody struggle. Somebody, some, sometimes love doesn't look like love when we have the ability, the money, the resources to help somebody, and we don't. But again, everyone, I think, has to go through that struggle to get to where God wants you to be. I'm going to close with a scripture, and uh, it's very interesting. I had never seen this before. But I saw this week, Galatians 6, 2 through 5, it says this. Carry each other's burdens. So get that. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. But then look, look at this. This is, this is good. For each one should carry their own load. You saw that? There's a little dilemma there, right? Carry one another's burdens. Each one should carry their own load. So I went and looked at the Greek of this, and it's very, very interesting. When it says carry each other's burdens, it refers to when a boulder is set on somebody. When, when something that wasn't their fault was thrown on them and they can't do it themselves, then we, we help them. We help them carry the burden. We show compassion. We show action toward them, and we help them get that mess. But then it says each one should carry their own load. And that word load, it refers to a daily load. It's not too heavy. It's like a knapsack. And, and that, that a knapsack that people can carry <clears throat> for themselves. So here's the thing. You should never do for people what they can do for themselves. But if somebody is hit with a mess, if somebody is bombarded and 
and it wasn't their fault and they didn't do anything, we show love and compassion. If somebody has dug their own hole, if somebody has continually uh, messed up and we've helped them before, then, then what we, we give them guidance, we love them, we pray for them, but we let them work that mess out themselves because if we enable them, they will never get to the point of rock bottom where they can find God and, and find uh, solutions. Would you stand with me this morning? You know, I know that all of us are either in a mess right now or we've had one that we've had to work through before. And, and so we've categorized two different types of messes. One that's uncontrollable. You don't do anything to get into it. It just hits you in life. And the other one, the other one is when we do things ourselves. And we're talking about other people, helping other people. But I'm sure there's some people here this morning that the mess you've created, you've created a mess for yourself. And, you know, today, I think what God would tell you is don't look to other people. You've got to get through that on your own. But God's going to help you in the struggle. He's going to help you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here that's in a mess, God whether they created it themselves or, or, or whether it was just uncontrollable circumstance. Lord, I pray for each one of those two categories, Lord, that you're gonna help people rebound, God, because your love for them has never changed. Your mercy for them has never changed. And God, as we, as we talk about other people's problems, Lord, I, I pray that you're encouraging people here today, God, First of all, when we see people in need because they've been hit by something they couldn't control, God, that our response, our responsibility is compassion and action. And God, if we have people in our world that have caused things on their own, self-imposed, God, we love them, we pray for them, but we also let them work through the struggle on their own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, listen, I'm so thankful you're here today and don't forget the Veterans Day service next week. Uh, guys, if y'all could help us stack these chairs in stacks of eight, that would be so helpful. And I'm gonna pray for you one more time before we, before we leave. And I'm, a number of years ago, the Lord just put on my heart. I was reading Ephesians and it talks about the spiritual inheritance of the believer. In church, the Bible tells us that because of Jesus, we don't get what we deserve when we turn to Jesus, we get what he deserved, what he paid for. And so if you're here today, I just want you to know that we have a spiritual inheritance. It's ours. It's ours. We have to claim it. And I just like to pray that over our congregation every Sunday before we go. Lord, Father God, we come before you and we thank you because you sent your son Jesus. We have a spiritual inheritance. It means that we don't have to live in poverty, but we can have abundance. Lord, it means that we don't have to live under sin, but that we can be forgiven. It means that our families can be protected. Our lives can be protected. And so, God, I just pray for the spiritual inheritance that comes from Jesus Christ to be activated in our lives. We refuse to settle for second best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.